This morning's scripture, the gospel of Matthew, the first of 11 verses. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humbled and mounted on a donkey, a colt, a foal of the beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the, on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for this very special day as we celebrate, Lord, the beginning of the end, when in reality it is the beginning of all eternity. Father, we thank you for this triumphal entry, and we thank you for the celebration of it this morning, as well as all of Holy Week coming up, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would direct our hearts and minds toward this passage and that he would speak to us in a new way, Lord, and that you would be glorified through it and our lives would be shaped and molded according to your will and not our own. And Father, I pray that the words I speak be not of me, but be glorifying unto you. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this day marks the beginning of what is known as Holy Week, and we celebrate Palm Sunday this morning as the beginning of the most blessed and holy periods in all of the Christian calendar. However, Holy Week was a proverbial emotional roller coaster when you look at the disciples and all they went through throughout the entirety of that week. There were many ups and downs. It is a week that was celebrated by a great celebration on Sunday, and then as the week rolled on, there were many highs and ending up with incredible lows. A lot of confusion, a lot of sadness, a lot of fear, a lot of depression when Saturday rolled around. Um, The disciples were dispersed, and they didn't know and understand what was going on. And yet that fear and loneliness and depression was quickly replaced with adulation and awe and inspiration when Sunday morning came along and they had seen or they got to see the risen Christ. But Palm Sunday as we begin this week and Holy Week, it demonstrates to us how important it is for us to see God and to see our Christian walk with eyes focused on the kingdom of God and not on the kingdom of man. Because we're going to see that essentially the disciples' eyes 
were focused on the kingdom of man. That they didn't understand what was going on because they were so caught up in the world, the things of the world, the pleasures of this world and everything that it held. They weren't able to see truly the kingdom of God and what its concerns should be and what it is made up of. When we have our eyes on the kingdom of God, we tend to view the things in this life with a little less importance. We tend to take our focus off the trivial matters of this world and set our sights on only the spiritual matters of eternity. And that's what God wants from us. That's what he asks from us. It's what Christ, time after time after time, attempted to get the disciples to understand. Was, don't worry about the worldly things. Not even talking about, necessarily, money. Although that's a part of it. But anything else that passes away, it just does that. It passes away. So keep our eyes on the kingdom things, the kingdom of God, and maintain a kingdom perspective. Matthew 6.33, seek ye first, what? His kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But it's a lot easier said than done sometimes, is it not? We live in the world, yet we're not of the world, and it's easy for the world to bring us into itself and we look at the Lord's prayer that we just recited a few moments ago and when Jesus gave us that prayer and it and it serves as a blueprint for not only for us to pray but I think it's a blueprint on how we are to look at things from a kingdom perspective so what is the first thing that we do whenever we pray we glorify God as our father right Our Father, where is He? He is in heaven. Keep our eyes in heaven, knowing that that's the eternity that awaits us. Don't put your focus here in this world. Keep our eyes directly in heaven on God. Holy, hallowed is His name. He is to be glorified. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. That should be our focus. That's primary. That was the first thing in the model prayer that we were given that should be the primary objective of our lives every day. Because it gives us a proper perspective. We don't even talk about sins until later on, right? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be dealing with sin. You that know me know that that's the case. We talk about it virtually every Sunday. But if you look at that prayer and you look at that model prayer and how we can basically live our lives according to that prayer, acknowledging, knowing, worshiping God, giving Him glory, keeping our focus in heaven and on His kingdom and His will. The disciples didn't really understand all that. And yet they had been at the very side of God in the flesh for three years. Now, don't get judgmental on those guys. We kind of have the same problem. We lose perspective. We let the world drag us into its things from whatever the case may be or whatever the situation may be. We focus our attention from the kingdom and what we should be doing to other things in the world. 
and worldly ideas and worldly philosophies. But yet we should try to maintain this kingdom mentality at all times because that's what it's all about and that's what Christ came to teach us and that's what he's trying to teach the disciples and this Palm Sunday begins is the beginning of the ushering in of his kingdom and he's going to demonstrate what his kingdom looks like throughout this week and he's going to give us an example of how we are to act as being heirs and citizens of his kingdom. So Jesus and his disciples begin their week by traveling back towards Jerusalem. So what was going on in Jerusalem this time? Passover. It was a very big time. It was the biggest celebration in Jerusalem throughout any part of the year. Roughly a million people gathered in that city on a hill. And so it was a a big, big event I laugh because anytime I think, I get sidetracked, but I think of a big event, I I think of Penny, and Penny would always call it a big doings. So you can rest assured that celebrating Passover in Jerusalem was a big doings. It was a a big thing for all the Jews at that time. So they they were headed toward Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover. And this journey consisted of them traveling through the Mount of Olives, to Bethpage, and then there was a city in front of them, and it was most likely Bethany. We don't know positively, but if you look on the maps, it was most likely Bethany. And, and then after they would leave Bethany, then they would travel through the Kidron Valley, up the hill to the city on the hill to Jerusalem, and enter there where they would go to the temple to worship and give sacrifice. So, as I said, it was during this time that the disciples had a very difficult time understanding what was going on. And not to say they hadn't been warned. Jesus had warned them on multiple occasions and told them the plan, and yet they couldn't understand it. They could not, they simply did not register in their minds. Now, it seems pretty straightforward to us, right? And we question why in the world couldn't they get it? It all makes perfect sense now. Well, we have the luxury of hindsight. They didn't have that luxury. Jesus warned or foretold the beginning of this week and everything that was to happen later on at least three times in detail to the disciples. In Mark chapter 10, he says in verses 32 and 34, and they, being Jesus and the disciples, were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him, and flog him and kill him. After three days, he will rise. Pretty straightforward prediction, right? This is on the way. And yet, they still don't get it. You know, they all scattered, they run, they denied him, they were terrified in these last days. And he just told them exactly 
what was going to happen. You see, the problem was they had a preconceived notion of what was going to happen. They had a preconceived notion that this triumphal entry was the beginning of Jesus setting up his kingdom, replacing the Roman kingdom, and ruling from on high. That was their preconceived notion. That was what was in their minds. That's what they believed was going to happen. And it did not matter what Jesus told them. They couldn't see it from a kingdom perspective. They were focused on the earthly perspective, the things of this world. And that's what made them not understand what was going to take place. You see, they had been taught this basically since the beginning of their lives. They fully believed that the Savior was going to come, that he was going to set up a kingdom, and they were going to be freed. A lot like what happened in Exodus. Sort of a foreshadowing of that. And in fact, that's exactly right, correct? But they didn't understand it the way it played out. They didn't fully understand exactly how it was going to play out, being from the kingdom of God and not from the kingdom of men. So he explained to them here exactly how this was going to play out. And yet if you continue reading and you go down just a little bit in your Bible, you're going to see that James and John comes up to Jesus right after he says, Hey, Can we be at your right and left hands? Can we be at positions of authority in this new kingdom that you're going to usher in? They wanted to be powerful. They wanted to demonstrate they knew the king and the king was going to use them and they spoke on the king's authority. They were so confused. They were still caught in worldly thinking. They were still trying to understand and not understanding at all what this kingdom that Jesus was about to usher in was made up of and how it was going to work and what was important in all of that. Their mindset was not on the kingdom of God. And Jesus answered him, quite certain he was disappointed with him. He answered and told them, whoever desires among you to be great shall be the least whoever desires to have a servant should be whoever desires to be served should be servant of that person Jesus said I didn't come to be served I came to be a servant to everyone you see how that turns this idea of kingship upside down on its head it's the absolute opposite of what the world sees and how the world sees a king to be The imagination of the Creator, it never ceases to amaze me in that He thought He would come to this world and did and turn the world system on its head. So we have to be careful before we judge the disciples for their failure to understand what's going to take place in this coming week. You know, oftentimes we view them as foolish and somewhat dimwits or slow to understand and hear and even Jesus chides them for this from time to time but before we look at the speck of dust in their eye I think we need to look at the log in our own amen 
We tend to have a similar problem. It's just part of this human condition. That sin has intervened and we tend to look at the things that we can smell, taste, and touch right before us. And we view them to be way more important than the eternal things that are awaiting for us in the future. We cannot fully understand God and His plans because we are fallen. Because sin has obfuscated our ability to even see God in all of His glory and all that He is. Not only can we not see God, but we can't even see ourselves for who we are. Sin so corrupts us that we tend to think of ourselves as pretty good people, right? It's all right. God's a loving God and he's not going to worry about me doing this or saying that or whatever the situation. That's the corruption that is so prevalent in our world today. And it comes from the fall and the sin that plagues us all. The disciples has, had defined in their mind what the Messiah, the Messiah was going to do and how it was going to play out. And there was nothing that he was going to say that was going to change that. Just like we create a God in our mind that's okay with whatever it is we do, they had created a Messiah in their mind that was going to rise up and take over and defeat the Romans and rule from on high from Jerusalem, set them free. And even though he told them differently, they didn't listen. As I said, don't be judgmental toward those folks. We've got a Bible that tells us how we are to do our lives, to live our lives, and how we're not supposed to live our lives. Yet we do the same thing. We say, well, I've got an idea in my mind of what God's really like, and that's the God I'm going to create. And nothing the Bible tells me is going to change that. So while we tend to pass harsh judgment on the disciples, we're no different. It's just that we have the benefit of hindsight. We should not or we should always be careful not to create in our minds what God wants without first understanding what he says from his word. If they had just listened to the very words that Christ told them, it would have made a lot more sense. And they would have endured a lot less pain and suffering and agony and depression that went on through the last part of this week, or this coming week. And they had been taught for 25, 30 years that's what's going to happen. That's why it's so important that when we teach our young ones that they're taught the truth. That they're taught by folks that understand the truth. Taught by folks that have a kingdom perspective and not a fleshly, worldly perspective. Because when we have that worldly perspective, it distorts reality. And it ends up hurting our kids in the long run. Because these disciples these were, had parents that taught them that this Messiah was going to come and he was going to set up and rule from Jerusalem. And he was going to overthrow the Roman government. So I hope you can see that it was easy for them to not understand this kingdom perspective that they had. Or that they didn't have, that they should have had. So, this problem is an age-old problem that we all have. And we all should try to focus on that kingdom perspective. Same way with with sin, right? It it tempts us with short-term gratification and long-term we ignore that. 
And it's the same way. If we don't have a kingdom perspective, then we're only focused on the here and now, minute to minute. And it's very unfortunate that even the church, Big C Church, takes that perspective from time to time. Back to Matthew. So they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two disciples, no idea which two, no clue. Could have been James and John, could have been any of them, we don't know. And he tells them, go to the village in front of you, which as I said was likely Bethpage, and immediately you will find a donkey and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. So here we go. They're headed into Jerusalem, but they stop along the way, and the disciples were sent, two of them were sent into Bethany. I said Beth Page, Bethany to get a donkey and her colt, to get both of them. Now, clearly, Jesus is displaying his God side, right? His omniscient side, because he knows that there's a donkey and a colt that's in Bethany. He knows that they're there, and he also knows that it's likely somebody's going to object to two of his disciples just going and grabbing this donkey and colt. But he says, if anybody says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them. And so, verse 3, here, I got ahead of myself. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And this took place to fulfill what, the, what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the beast of burden. So in verse 3, he instructs them, Go get the donkey and her colt. So they went, and the Gospel of Mark tells us that the owners or someone there did object, say, Hey, what are you doing with... I'm paraphrasing. It's Scott version. What are you doing with my donkey and my colt? And the disciples did as Jesus told them. said, hey, the Lord needs them. The Lord needs them. And basically at that moment in time, there was no more questions asked. The owner acquiesced and they went away with the donkey and the colt. So you might ask, why was it important that Jesus ride in on a colt? Seems a little strange, a little awkward. I mean, this is his coronation as king, right? It was the beginning to usher in his kingdom. But we see one of the reasons here that's quoted in verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of the beast of burden. So reason number one was that so that Scripture could be fulfilled, right? And that was very important. And this Scripture specifically came from Zechariah 9.9. And it's, it's a quote from Zechariah 9.9. Behold, Israel, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. So scripture would be fulfilled. It was to demonstrate the coming kingdom of God as Christ being the king. And as I said, the kingdom of God is all about 
eternal things which are way more important than the temporal earthly things that we find ourselves dealing with every day here on earth. So the creator of the universe, the one who spoke the universe into existence, that breathed life's air into Adam, comes to earth in the form of a man and rides a colt, a colt into Jerusalem to kick off his reign as the eternal king. Wow. How unworldly could one be? How unlike mankind is God? Not only was he riding on a colt, but he was riding on a borrowed colt. Now I guess you could say it was his because he does own the cattle on a thousand acres. But still yet, it was a borrowed colt. He didn't have the finances or wherewithal to buy a colt. It represented that he was the poorest of society between he and his disciples. Don't let any of those out there try to tell you that he was rich and wealthy. That's a lie. That is not the case whatsoever. So the disciples went and he, they did as he had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. So they get the mom and they get the baby. They bring them back. No saddles. The creator of the universe doesn't have the money to have a saddle on the colt that he is to ride into Jerusalem to kick off his kingdom. Upside down, inverted story, right? If this would had been a prince of the world getting to ready to have his coronation and become king, think of the fanfare that would have been given. Now, it's been a lot of years since the Queen of England was coronated. It'll happen again, maybe king sometime. But I promise you, it's going to look a whole lot different than what this does. And you can go back and you can see choppy, black and white, snowy video of that event. And she's got a train that wouldn't fit in this building. There was fanfare and pomp and circumstance and the eyes of the entire world were watching this event. And yet here we have the creator of all of the universe. The creator of every king and queen that has ever drawn a breath on this earth coming in on a borrowed colt with no saddle. The humility of it all. So he sat on 
these cloaks instead of a saddle. And we have a crowd. Most of the crowd then spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. So we have spectators laying their coats, laying their cloaks on the road in front of Jesus coming in on this borrowed colt with no saddle. Used to be quite the tradition. I'm not sure some of us can remember when gentlemen would lay their coat down for their wife to walk over a mud hole or whatever the case may be to keep them from getting dirty. Sort of the same idea or same notion. He was royalty and they were laying their cloaks down to usher him in to town as a significant event in their time. They cut the palm branches from the trees and they laid them down for this small parade to go into the city. Again, those palm branches were representative to victory in that he had overcome the world, but a lot of the folks didn't understand that because they were still focused on this earthly notion or earthly perspective. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest. So there was a crowd that had led the way. Now it was very customary in those times when a king had been away and he was coming back into town that a large group would go meet him. And usually it was a large group of dignitaries and a large group of famous important people that would go out to meet that returning king. Not this time. This time you have a large group of unimportant, poor folks that were going out to meet the King of kings and Lord of lords. They weren't wealthy. They weren't well-known. They were the the salt-of-the-earth group of folks, and they were going out to see him, and they were going to usher him back into town as the victor. They were singing, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means I beg you to save. I beg you to save or please deliver us. And I think this whole idea or notion of what they're saying kind of gives you an idea about what they're expecting, right? So it was quite a ceremony and I'm quite certain the disciples, as they usually did, got caught up in the moment as they did not understand from a kingdom perspective exactly what was going on. And yet you have this group of people that are coming out singing, Hosanna, I beg you to save or please save us. And I believe some of them were saying, please save us because of the same reasons and teachings that the disciples couldn't understand. That if you recall, those, some of those same groups of people on Friday... We're chanting, crucify him. Why? Because this saving wasn't the same idea of saving on Friday that they thought it was on Sunday. 
They didn't have that kingdom perspective. They had an earthly perspective and they thought this guy coming in, most of them, I will say some of them did not, they thought this guy coming in was going to come and overthrow that government and he was going to rule from Jerusalem. And so they were asking him to come in and overthrow the government and save them from the Roman oppression. This king that they were ushering in on Sunday changed, they thought, between then and Friday. They thought that he had duped them, that he was a charlatan, that he was something that he claimed not to be. They thought that because they didn't understand, or they thought that because they didn't understand what the kingdom of God was or what it meant They knew that Isaiah 9 promised them a prince of peace, right? We read Isaiah 9, we know that Jesus is almighty counselor, and we go through all of that, and he is the prince of peace. And they knew Isaiah 9 better than I do. And yet, all of a sudden, they think this prince of peace is going to come along, and he's going to make physical destruction in Jerusalem. But that wasn't the case. And yet his kingdom and his peace reigned from on high. As we see in the world around us, it's so important for us to maintain that kingdom perspective of setting our sights and thoughts and mind always on God and trying to reject getting distracted by the world. Being the Prince of Peace means that by dying on that cross, He gave us a peace with God the Father that that we don't have to worry about suffering the punishment and judgment for our sins because He took that punishment and judgment for us. And so that brings peace to us. But as I've said so many times, that's vertical, but peace then overflows horizontally between each other we've seen a little bit of that in Romans as we've gone through that and how does that overflow that overflows because we realize and we keep a kingdom perspective and we understand it whatever anybody in this life says to us it doesn't matter if they offend us it's no big deal it really does not matter Because we're dying, folks. I don't know if you've caught on to that yet, but we are. And what somebody said to me yesterday isn't going to matter at all in eternity. Whether I glorify God every day, those are the things that matter. So when you really get this notion that we're at peace with God and grasp and 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 take heart and embrace the kingdom mentality, then the things of this world just slowly fade into oblivion to where you know everything that doesn't glorify God, everything that isn't about sharing eternal life and His message with everyone else is really foolishness. So all the pomp and circumstance that a normal person would have in entering Jerusalem with white horses and, and 
just wonderful things, big crowds, important people, dignitaries from all over, other kings coming, huge feasts. Jesus is saying, that's not important. That's not important. What's important is my kingdom. What's important is eternity. Glorifying God. Giving Him thanks at all seasons and for all things. So as I close and as we get ready to go through this most holy week, keep our minds on the kingdom of God. Try that. Try to focus that in our lives. Ask the Holy Spirit to remind us whenever we start to digress and set our minds on the things of man. It is the things of man that are not important, but the things of God that are of eternal significance. It's not easy to do. We get distracted in so many ways. Sin pulls us everywhere. Satan wants us to not have our minds on the things of God. But this week, forevermore, but specifically this week, let us make sure as we close out this Lenten season and we are anticipating Easter morning and all that entails and just the joy of that, keep our minds on the kingdom of God, His righteousness and His glory. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for this most holy week. We thank you, Father, that we live when we do, that we have the ability to look in hindsight and understand why it was so easy to be misinterpreted and why Jesus was so easy to be looked over. Father, help us to keep our minds and hearts set on you. Help us to maintain a kingdom perspective and not an earthly perspective because we know that this earth is passing away, that our flesh is passing away each and every day and everything that we deal with and touch and smell and taste will be no more at some point in time in the very near future. So with that, Lord, let us keep our eyes directed on you, especially throughout this coming week, each and every day as we Think about the end of Lent and the sacrifice that we've made is just a small reflection and a reminder of the greatest sacrifice that was ever made for mankind, and that was Jesus on the cross for each one of us. And Father, we pray for all the services throughout this week and especially next Sunday morning that people that do not know you would come to know you in a salvific way and that you would be glorified like never before. And Lord, we thank you for each and every one gathered here this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you will be with us as we go next door and the kiddos to hunt the Easter eggs. And we thank you for the food that you provided for us, Lord. And we just pray, Lord God, that you would bless it to nourish our bodies, Lord. And we thank you for the hands of the servants that are helping to get that ready. And we just give you all praise and glory. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All rise. May the grace and glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all. Have a blessed week. And if I don't know that we announced it this morning or not, but we have food. We're going to have an Easter egg hunt, and then we have food over here. Please, everyone, I encourage you to stay. We will have plenty for everybody. Thank you very much. Yes. Food first and then Easter egg hunt. So those of you that are hungry and don't want to hunt eggs, jackpot.